0: Welcome to Dances FAQ, the podcast that gives you health information, keys for action and motivation, as well as tips for your career and well-being. My name is Alix Renier, and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, artists, athletes and dancers. Hi guys, welcome back to the show. Sorry for being so silent lately. I have launched my new business called Magic Ovaries where I bring fertility awareness for a program called Magic Ovaries Academy. It is for anyone that wants to know more about fertility and the menstrual cycle, no matter your relationship status. It can also be used as a natural contraceptive, 98.2% effective, or a way to maximize your chances to conceive. You can get to know more about it on magicovers.com. Today my guest is Tony Ritzi, who danced among the Frankfurt Ballet for Fosight for many years and who worked with Jan Fabre. He has been creating his own performances among his company Tony and the Bad Habits, as well as for other dance companies. He is also an amazing teacher that I had the chance to have in Berlin. Tony will be releasing this month's his new creation, Why Wait, Still Waiting, in Frankfurt. It is about the Frankfurt Ballet under William Forsythe. In this episode, you'll get to know how he got into the Frankfurt Ballet, how Forsythe was working with his, quote, comedians that can dance really good, and how Tony was writing fake notes to skip school and take ballet classes, among many other cool things. Here is our conversation. Enjoy. Welcome, Tony, on the show. Hi. You talk about Forsythe a lot. Is there a day that you don't think about him?
1: Oh, about the work? Well, there isn't a day that I don't think about dance. So, of course, my main... My career was with Forsythe, and my understanding of dance was, you know, through experimenting with him. So, yeah, I think about it a lot.
0: What was your encounter with him like?
1: Well, um... Well, the interesting thing was that I didn't know what I was joining. I thought I was joining a classical ballet company. That's what I thought. And I had auditioned, got the job, and he said, oh, you should come see the show so you know what you're getting into. And I said, oh, I think I don't have time. I have another audition. And um, he was like, so I came the first day and suddenly we're like rolling around on the floor and doing this weird stuff. And um, I liked him, but I didn't like the work. I didn't think it was dance. Um, So um, I found him fascinating, sometimes difficult to understand because his mind goes so quickly um so at the beginning i liked him but i didn't like the work that first year it was just all so strange and it just even artifact i remember in my diary well it's kind of ballet things like that and then the second year, then he made a, I was in a creation and really experimenting with him. Um, so that suddenly shifted and was like, oh yeah, now I get it. Mm. Yeah, and then I really tapped into his brain immediately and we just somehow clicked. Yeah, I don't know why, yeah. Also he just trusted me from the beginning and I was just 20. I remember I would like sit in the canteen in a break and he would come to me and ask advice. like, And I'm like, why is he always coming to me? And so I kind of became that person that he would always come to for advice or things like that. It wasn't always easy because sometimes in between the performances, like in the break, he might be upset about something, so he'd pull me aside and like, you know, get his anger out without getting it out on the dancer and about the situation and and i'd be trying to help him with advice but like i gotta go get changed in my other outfit so it was it was strange to have at the beginning it was strange as a young person to have this double role
0: and then you found your balance
1: yeah yeah and then i found my balance with him and and understood that um it was very flexible the working atmosphere you know
0: and how come you didn't realize it was that type of work? The the audition was only ballet? Ballet
1: class. I literally, I took a ballet class. I heard him talking about me behind me, saying that my arms were so beautiful. And because I, I loved Adagio, I started very late dancing at 16. And so... Um, basically, it was just, um, just copy what you see in the room, right? So I didn't really know what muscles to use and things, but I loved the arms and the head and Adagio because it was slow. I could copy it easy. So anyways, he said that to me. I, I heard that. And then he came up and asked me, how long have you been dancing? And I said, three years. And he thought to himself, I guess he told me usually that, oh, if he has that arm and head coordination, that's difficult. Like the legs are easy. And, um, and then also in the audition, he said, um, he said, oh, when we took a girls class, he pulled me out of the boys class. He took class with me and said, let's go take the girls' class together. So we took the girls' class and then he said, every time they PK, you do some kind of jump, like change it and turn it into a jump. And at the end you gotta, I gotta see your double tours. Show me your double tours. And so that was it. So there was this a little bit of choreography that I made up and then really that was it. And then even the day before we started class, um, the first day I met him on the street and asked him stupid questions about how do you like your pirouettes? The Russian style or the Balanchine and I remember he said, oh, you'll see tomorrow Where I like my pirouettes from which meant like upside down or from a split or some strange position
0: How did you start dancing because 16 is a, is a bit late for ballet.
1: Yeah, it is well I started dancing when I was 10. I loved to dance. My mother loved to dance and my father didn't like. So my father was a famous mathematician who invented the microwave. So a mathematical Einstein brain. And my mother just loved dance and she had some mental issues. So she was a little crazy, uh, but loved to dance. And so she would take me on Thursday nights to go dancing because my dad didn't want to go. And slowly she would then take me to like square dance class or country line class. And then I saw a TV show with like sexy dancers, like M- TV video, it was a TV show with Dionne Warwick and she would sing the hits of the week and they would have these dancers, these jazz dancers. And I told my mother, oh, I want to learn to do that only because I wanted to be around those beautiful men, right? So I'm thinking, wow, okay, I love to dance and they like to dance and I could be with those sexy men. You know, no one knew I was gay then. And then my mother smart said, no, you should take ballet first because ballet is the basis for all dance she had taken it as a kid um, and so she said let's try a ballet class and i was obsessed from the first class i thought oh my god this is so hard it's mathematical it's math mind two and four and one and up and down and up. and it connected with music so i just got super suddenly obsessed with it and i was like oh this is what i want to do i want to do ballet and then i saw barishnikov dance and then really focused more Yeah, but I didn't get um, I mean, I had great teachers and I had a great um, group of students. We weren't competitive. We were very helpful. It was a beautiful school with Bruce Wells was my teacher and Violet Verdi was also. um, um, And so that work situation was great, but they were always like, "Mm," you know, I had a weird body. I was short. I was fat. Um, So they kept kind of going like maybe something else or my teacher was like, oh, I bet you'll be a choreographer one day. So I was really kind of not so into it, think I wouldn't make it and then kind of got down for a little bit. And I was like, no, screw it. I'm going to do it. And then just really worked obsessively. I was like, okay, you're late. You need to take four classes a day. You know, I would take four classes a day. Yeah. I would leave school. I would write fake notes from my mother saying my grandmother died and James has to leave. the. Um, my real name is James. James has to leave um, class or school early. And I just constantly would just sneak out of school to go take as many ballet classes as I could.
0: So your mother didn't know that ballet took such a, a big place in your life no she
1: knew it she knew it but you know they wouldn't be happy especially my father the genius you know I should have been a doctor or a lawyer because I was smart when I was young um yeah so she knew I was into it it was more that my dad was like you know you still got to do the school stuff so I kind of snuck around it and, um, and you know, when you're part of a school that's attached to a company, you think that's the only place in the world, right? And you're like, if you don't get into Boston Ballet, then I'm gonna quit, you know? And someone had brought me to some audition spontaneously for a Nutcracker in Chicago. And um, so suddenly I went there and they liked me and I did a solo part and I was like, oh wow, there's another company? and I'm making money like and it was just a short little gig and those people started saying oh go to europe they don't care if you're short and things like that and so that kind of pushed me as a maybe to try over in europe
0: so when you did the audition for foresight it wasn't your first one
1: no it was not my first audition no uh uh-oh, i'd auditioned all over the place yeah and tried to actually even though i got the job even i auditioned for joffrey ballet the day before I was supposed to fly because I did not want to move to Europe. Yeah, I went over there, got the job, but you know, it looked so ugly and it was weird. And I was like, no, I was so obsessed with Balanchine and and that, and you know, the American way of dancing. And I really, I was fighting till the end to not go. Mm -hmm. And then finally I got there and I remember I went to the Goethe Fountain And it was my first day there, all alone, and I started crying, I'm 20, and I'm like, I don't wanna be here, why am I here? And I swear to God, I felt an angel, a real angel. And I felt pressure on my shoulders, and a voice whispered in my ear and said, you're supposed to be here. And everything smoothly kind of went, you know? So I really felt like it was a a thing of fate that um, the two of us would meet not just me and Billy, but me and everybody. This amazing... I mean... Yeah, I question if he would have had the same fame if he had a different group of people because those people were so open to this experimental way to work with this crazy guy. Crazy. I'm like normal. Who, you know, just shook up the ballet world, you know, and we really supported each other and it wasn't, you know, Billy would make a quick solo for you and that was it and then you would ask your colleagues does this look better should I do it like this so every it was like one giant intellectual orgy like a, um, incestuous osmosis I had asked a dancer um, from the company I'm making a piece about the f- company and so I've been asking different people what, what what it was for them and the pianist of the company said uh, Margot she said it was like incestuous osmosis yeah <laughs> like you're all t- together and And Nora said the same thing, like, you forgot who who guided you. It wasn't, you know, with Balanchine, it was like, you came in, just listen to me. I'll do it, you know? And this wasn't that, it wasn't just listen to Billy. It would go against what Billy said, or he'd say an idea and you would do the complete opposite, and maybe he'd find that interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was no fear of experimenting, you know? If you fucked up, he wasn't gonna fire you. I don't think he ever fired anyone. I think there was one point, maybe, two people. But, and yeah, rarely did he fire someone about... Um, if anything, it was you weren't in the groove. You weren't in this groove of we're all in it together. And da-da-da, you know? We let him fuck up and didn't, you know, not talk to him for, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that's an important thing, that the allowance of failure... Yeah. without fear of losing your job that it releases you
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and then you find interesting things
0: and was there a hierarchy
1: some people did more than others you know I mean Billy always said oh I had three stars in the company I was one of them but whatever everyone did stuff Right. yeah I think we were all paid the same basically yeah okay yeah
0: and how was your career there then
1: Well, the interesting thing about the company of how was it for 20 years, every year it was different. Every year it was different. There was a different flavor and what we were working on and whether we were working on extreme pushing ballet or working on a cut type of improvisation or loss of small detail, spending a lot of time working on no focus, kind of this lost way of movement, very different from the hard ballet. So, so that was a joy that every year there was like a different things happening in it. And I think the other thing too, was that it wasn't just in the studio, like the, the creative laboratory would then pop out and someone made a band or someone would make a piece somewhere else or they would get into a fashion show. or not. So it was like this constant, or someone would get into acting and stuff. So you felt like it was uh, uh, kind of like stirring up the city of Frankfurt and this creativity was bouncing all over. It was like a nucleus which I thought was interesting. I was talking to someone about that, about like maybe a freelance scene. The freelance scene is you got to kiss ass so much in the freelance scene mm. to get the money. And when you're in the Staatstheater, you don't. You got to get in the door, but there's no kissing ass. The money's there. Yeah. And what I think Billy did was then use that money and like a freelancer would take part of the budget and say, oh, I believe in this young guy. and i'm gonna have him make a photo book about the company and work on his photography i'm gonna give a little money from that and i felt like maybe that's a better way that there's like a smart someone that really knows that they're delegating the money and what it's going to i question you know when i do a grant and i get a little bit of a money and they don't come to the show and i send the video and do they even look like do they even check on or the one time someone did come and see it, and in my description I wrote that I was going to use a puppet. And the only thing the person said that gave me the 15000 said, well, there wasn't a puppet in the show. I'm like, yeah, the idea changed. I'm like, did you like it? Like, do you, anything else besides you missed the puppet? And you're the one deciding on the thousands of, they're not all idiots, I've met some people, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird It's a weird thing. Another friend of mine recently who was a director of a ballet company, and he said, oh, the politicians aren't making the decisions. It's their wives Mm -hmm. at the cocktail party going, oh, no, we've seen enough Forsythe. I want to see something with classical music.
0: Who knows? Yeah, (laughs) you question that, like...
1: But the amazing thing is that just dance keeps going though. You know, like regardless of all the bullshit that runs it maybe, the dancers themselves still are keep it alive and I think that's what's so beautiful.
0: Were you able to to go to other companies or do other projects?
1: Yep. Billy, Billy would let people go away. There was once he made a mistake and 10 people he let go, not realizing wow. he had said yes. And then we had to do a big ballet and we were like, we have to hire people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was very generous. Like he's a very generous person, you know, working with him was tough because it was the unknown and there was a lot of yelling and uh, and a lot of laughter though mm. so i remember so much of like tension that would happen sometimes where he'd be really upset about the show and not know how to how to get it across to make it better or the work he had to do you know lots of times he would say you know it's if i get upset it's cuz i realize i have so much work to do you know it's not them it's my job to get them to look good. That's what his job is. You're the director. I often went to work with Jan Fabre. I had wanted to be an actor. He brought Jan Fabre, that was the other thing. Billy brought very interesting artists to the company to work with us. To Saburo Teshigawara, which was a whole other way of improvising, using imagery like be a piece of glass and stuff. I mean, we spent hours. It was really fun. Or, and then he brought Jan Fabra. And at the beginning, it was tension because it's a very strict way of working in a way. And then we became friends. And I really liked Jan. And I really learned about performing. And he asked me to go work with him on a piece, a ballet that he was making. And he wanted me to be the devil. And I was a devil on pointe shoes. And, um, and then every once in a while, I would go and work with Jan. There was one point when I had like a little nervous breakdown. Um, my boyfriend broke up with me. My best friend had a nervous breakdown girl and she just left the company and became a religious freak. And then I found out it was HIV positive all in a week. In one week? In one week. And I thought I was going to lose my mind. I didn't tell anybody about the HIV. I only told Jan Faber. And I, I remember going to Jan and said... Um, I know you're making a new piece, can I be in your show? And he said, no, there's no money left. And I just started crying and I said, I just can't be there, I cannot be in Frankfurt, you have to help me, I can't be there. And he somehow phoned money, he probably sold an artwork so that I could get a salary. And he was actually the first person that I um, told I was HIV positive. And would often go and then would say to Billy over the years, oh, Jan wants me in another show, can I go? And Billy always said, you're always much better when you come back. You're an even better performer each time. You learn so much from him. And I did. I learned a lot about acting. You know, Jan's a real theater director. Mm -hmm. You know, Billy puts acting in his show, but, you know, he comes from a ballet world. You know, so it was interesting to hear it from another place, really work with actors. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, Billy would let us go away, which was good. The friend going away, yeah, that was different, but the ex-boyfriend was up in the face, he was kind of part of the company in a kind of way, he was a DJ, very inspiring to me, that's another huge part of my career was this DJ, Um, Andy Baumecker is his name, he's a DJ here. Um, And I would just go every night to clubs and practice Forsyth in the clubs or sit in the DJ booth and watch people and look at the uncoordinated dancers and try to do uncoordinated dance the next day at work. And that became a thing, you know, or it was funny how things would develop, but really from from being with that DJ for such a long time. But um, no, that wasn't therapeutic. The, the, yeah, the strangeness okay. went <laughs> kept going for a little bit, but he's a great guy and a great teacher.
0: And when did you start then your creative work?
1: Quite early. I started my first piece. I had gone back to Boston Ballet for a summer. I took a class and the teacher suddenly had to leave, had a personal emergency, like right after tondus, and had to leave. And I just said, I'll teach. And so I taught my first class and the director of the company, Bruce Marks, happened to walk by and saw this. And then he said to me, he was like, oh, he's like, I liked watching you teach the class. I liked the corrections you were giving. And I was 23, 22, 22. And he's like, could you make a little piece for the the second company in four days? So I had four days to make a short little piece. Yeah, a little piece of shit, dot, dot, dot. I wanted to say a little piece of shit. That was the name (laughs) of the piece. Uh, yeah. A little piece of something. Anyways, it was a very short little piece. And that was the first time I made a, a, a piece. And then I went back again to set a Forsyth Ballet at 23. And then Bruce was like, why don't you teach company class? So I taught company class, which was like, I had just left, you know, and here I'm like teaching the principals and coaching them on a Forsyth piece. And then I made my own piece, a bigger piece for the junior company. And that got a, an amazing review and was like super great review. And um, yeah. And then there was another kind of ballet competition with the Boston Ballet choreography competition. And Bruce said, you know, you're for sure you're gonna get it, but just apply. So I applied, got the job, and made a super tons theater piece. Like they'd never seen anything like that. And uh, got one terrible review and one amazing review. And I remember coming back to Frankfurt. And I said, Oh, Billy, I want to show you my new piece. It was called planned fun. So I showed it to him and he said, I'll never forget. He said, I had no idea you had such big balls. He's like, you are an artist. Do not ever let anyone tell you what to do. You do what you think is right. You're an artist. And from then it went on. And then I made another piece for Boston Ballet. And uh, not for Boston Ballet, for Frankfurt Ballet. And then I was blessed. There's another production house and they did an AIDS benefit and asked me to make a piece. So I made a piece, it was really good. and um, And then they started producing me. So I was able to not choreograph in the Frankfurt Ballet, but like away, you know, without having Billy walk by and, you know, oh, what are you doing? Like, just let me,
0: it was always uh, within ballet companies?
1: Yeah, I had done a lot with ballet companies. I'd done a lot with guests and then the other would then me bringing my own dancers, picking different people or an actress or something and putting together shows. But yeah, I did used to get commissions to ballet companies for a long, for good chunks. Capino Ballet, Pennsylvania Ballet, Boston Ballet, um, JazzX in Holland. Kiel Ballet, the Munich Ballet.
0: Why? Because you're inspired by clubs. Uh, you love shows that are super contemporary, but still you work more with ballet dances.
1: Oh, just because they asked and they wanted something crazy. Okay. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, let's have Rizzy come and do something, you know? Or I don't know. Or maybe it was just like, we can't get Foresight, these too expensive. Let's get Rizzy. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very different, the work. I think my work is more stealing from Pina Bausch. You know, Borisnikov, I had met Borisnikov and tried to sell a piece of his, of mine. And so he watched a bunch of videos and he said, um, he was like, yeah, I was watching your videos and my wife was in the kitchen and she came over and she saw that piece with the trio and it was just dance. And she came and she said, that's really interesting. And then Borisnikov said, what I want you to do is make a pure dance piece. And then once New York likes you, then you can take your penis out or whatever the hell you want to do. But first make a pure dance piece. So I did that Mm -hmm. and it was a disaster. Yeah, it was not a disaster. It was like the first part was ballet and the second part was theater. And then friends came and they were like, why is it two separate things? And I was like, well, I'm trying to sell the dance. They're like, screw it, just put them." And then the next show, next day I was like, okay, we're just mixing it together back again. And then it became a much better piece. It was called, um, Some of My Best Friends Are Trash.
0: So you were still dancing in the company and then doing your your work and coming back and forth. Yeah, he would let me go
1: and come, go and come, yeah. Or on a summer break or, yeah, yeah, now that I say it, I'm like, oh yeah, I did do a lot. But I don't know, somehow I stopped doing things with the ballet. I think maybe I didn't sell myself or was just more into doing my own pieces with my group.
0: What was your group? I mean, Uh, where were the dancers coming from? Well, you
1: know, we take teach class at Marameo and see somebody like, Oh, he's got a funny face. I'm making a piece about faces. You want to be in my show? And Yari stayed forever. And uh, so little things like that, meeting people or people from the company, they would come be part of it, you know, take a break from Billy and join my production, like two people. Yeah, it's usually that. I've never had an audition or something like that. Okay. Yeah.
0: And why is your company called Tony and the Bad Habits? Uh,
1: It's such a good story. So I'm friends with nuns, Catholic nuns that live in Rome. My first dance partner, she became a nun she's now mother superior um american but they're often stationed some of them come to rome for a year to four years to study art or religion or work in the vatican and i so i happened to be in um, um rome and she was there and we met and i met the nuns and i got totally into them i love them so much and one night we went to the ballet and, um, we were waiting for the bus and the bus wasn't coming and sister Jane, she's really small and she's very funny, um, we're waiting for the bus. It wasn't coming. I said, don't worry. And there were tons of people. I was like, don't worry. They're going to let you guys on first. And they said, no, they won't. They'll step in front of us cause they know we won't say anything. And then sister Jane said, we can run, we can run. We can make it in 20 minutes. If we all run. And they're in full white, like the full, you know, the habits. And I, at that point had a handlebar mustache and a mohawk so I look like a little punk. And, uh, and I said to Sister Jane, I was like, Sister Jane, we can't be running through Rome. The six of you dressed like that and me like this. And she said, why not? It'll be, It'll be Saturday night with Tony and the Bad Habits. <laughs> and I was like, that's the name of my company I've been looking for. So that's why it's called the Bad Habits. Nice. Yeah, yeah. we have yet to do a performance where we're all nuns.
0: What's happening with your company at the moment?
1: Well, at the moment we're doing the new production we're going to do is in November. It's called Why Wait? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a joke, but I went to see um, the Jerome Bell's piece at Tonsum August Festival about Isadora Duncan. Mm-hmm. So I saw the show and it was like, um, and I came out and I was like, oh, you know, that was better than TV. It was like a documentary is like better than TV. And then I thought, well why wait until Forsyth's dead before we make one about him? I was like, I'll do it now. So we were supposed to do it last November with some of my ex-colleagues and Billy um, allowed me to use the archives, any footage that I wanted. Oh, that's what I was saying. So we watched thousands of hours of footage of rehearsals and I kept waiting for the fights to be somewhere. Couldn't find one. The only thing I saw was laughter, laughter, laughter. Or you would notice like the room got a little bit tense and then someone would make a joke, you know? But a lot of laughter. Billy once said to a journalist, I have a company of comedians that can dance really good. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Why Wait Now slash Still Waiting. And it's like six of my ex-colleagues and a fan of the company, a student from the school. Yeah. Yeah. So we're working on that. And um, we had, like we said, we had a dress rehearsal last year, but then because of lockdown the next day it was canceled. So we had a year to think about it. And so I look forward to starting work on it. We have two weeks to get it back together, but, and some different colleagues are going to come in and put their two cents. So, yeah, it's a lot of visual. It's a lot of film like of, you know, a woman dancing when she was young, but it's projected on her body now. And so you see her young on her own body and things like that. Or a nice little video of Billy dancing around, practicing in the room with everybody improvising. And he's just like everybody else trying to figure out what the hell he was just talking about. You know, it's a beautiful little film of him analyzing his body and, you know, everyone working together, the laboratory feeling.
0: Where is this going to be?
1: It'll be at the lab in, um, in part of the Tanz Rhein-Main Festival. Okay. It's like a big, huge open space. And I have to remember to start asking people to come again and see if they would want to show it somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. I don't think, have I ever performed it? Yeah, I performed at Tanz Fabrique. Mm-hmm. Two, two little shows, but that place would be too small for this. Okay. And I think once I did Tanz in August, but it was a solo from Jan Faber. I think it's an important show to see, too, because people so often looking at the work of Billy, number one, they only see one side of it, the ballet they tend to see, but there's so much like imitation of it. And it's more about, I always find it's more important to get into the head of the artist. That's why the student that's, um, now he's a choreographer, he's a dancer here, he never worked with Billy, but he read every article, every word that Billy ever said, and he really looks like like he's got it. Like he could have been in the company in two seconds. And that's from just reading it. And that's an interesting thing about also watching Billy hire different people. One friend of mine hired her after lunch. And he was like i love her mind i don't care what she dances like i'm sure she's fine the mind is there and that was the most important thing and so that's why i'm like go into the mind of the artist that you like i love pina bausch so i go into every interview talking i get to teach there so i get to sort of feel how did that you know where i find it very similar very similar um ways of working really the company this kind of very relaxed, experimental. When the run-through happens, it's serious, but it can go from... Ah, 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 to and we're doing it, you know? That was not uh, a thing with Jan Faber. Why, he, When he, he said to me once, he was like, it's amazing, you can go from just, like, laughter to, like, so focused in a second. And he was like, and you're like, everything is important, but nothing's important, but at the same time. So it makes this sort of... I was like, yeah, freedom and authenticity and audience sees that. Mm-hmm. No audience wants to just come watch a well-rehearsed piece. Yeah. Even Balanchine, I've been watching all the old videos of balancing. They're a mess. Court of Ballet is a mess. Not a mess from, you know, the perfect standard. The vibe is there, you're still getting the drive and maybe one arm is a little bit lower than the other or she's the other one flicked her skirt and the other one didn't. But there's a drive to it. They all have the same idea and they're going for it in their own way. And, and I read also interviews that maybe he also didn't like to rehearse so much. So it kept you on your toes. And with Forsythe, sometimes it was like five minutes before the show and he's changed it. Literally, the curtain is down, it's about to go up. He's suddenly changing everything and it goes up and it's such a chaotic atmosphere. He would create this chaos. So the only thing that you could do to not look like an idiot was hold on to what you thought it was. And you're going to do what you think it is. I don't care if Susie thinks something else and I do And it caused this kind of attentiveness and vibrancy to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes I see like Forsyth pieces done, I'm like, wait, there's too much just doing the steps and not the drive, you know, and it looks just like well rehearsed. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to show this piece just for for dancers, really, to understand better about how the approach was to Billy's work, which I think is everybody's work. Even Pina Bausch, who was so anal and like, not anal, sorry, cut it out, uh, was so particular. Still, there's this aliveness to it. They also didn't rehearse to death or they rehearsed on their own a lot, a lot, very similar to Billy. Yeah, when I went there to teach for the first time, I walked in and I was like, this is Frankfurt Ballet 1985. It's the same goddamn vibe. Same thing. Yeah, so it's too bad she died. <laughs> Would have been fun to work with her.
0: How was your last performance at the ballet?
1: Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Well, for, yeah, well, I guess I can't. You can cut it out, but he fired me three days before my last show. He misinterpreted completely this article. It was like, everyone's like, yeah. So he fired me, literally. Okay. Um, so so then I went back in. We finally had a meeting. It was all over. So those last three shows were really like um, such a freedom, you know, because of that that the bad situation that happened, the tension between the two of us suddenly being on stage was like, oh, no, like such a freedom to it. Um, and I have to say, and the last, the last thing I did was the second act of Eidos Telos, and it's kind of a big waltzing scene with little monologues, or people do songs. And it ends with the main actress speaking Italian to me, and then I turn those words into a Broadway song. So something like "Non c'è faccio me," and "Oh, I'm so gay, it's gay, we love to be gay, Broadway," and would do these things. And then she'd give me another one, and the whole time that it's going, the curtain is slowly like coming down, like chunk, chunk, chunk chunk and the lights are flashing like um, strobe lights or whatever so it's kind of like this sparkly thing and slowly the curtain is coming down and she gives me the last sentence it's just about to hit the floor and I slide so you just see my head coming out of the floor and I turn the song into I turn the song into um, an Eminem song. And so it's just about to go down. The last thing I said to the end of my career said, this looks like a job for me. So everybody just follow me because it's going to feel so empty without me. Boom. (laughs) Yeah. Billy came running back. He was like, oh, my God, it was genius. I was like, I don't know. The gods just told me to say it. It just came to me. Yeah. It's going to feel so empty without me. Boom. You know, and and foresight without foresight. you know. Funny.
0: And how was it just just after then? Because it was such a a big part, it seems, like it was a family, collaborators, like...
1: Well, I went straight into creating, so it was kind of okay. Yeah, Yeah, I went straight to Australia and made a piece. I know I went to Munich, I made a piece, um, and they were doing a foresight piece at the same time, so I was still kind of there. yeah. And then I actually danced again because I went, I hadn't taken class in a year, went to Munich, fell in love in Munich when I made my piece, went to go see um, Lim's Theorem, saw the show. Next morning, I was like, you know, I'm going to take class. I haven't taken class in a year. So I take the class and then the director comes up to me and says, we've had some injuries. Do you think you could do the show tonight? And I was like, how much? <laughs> ah! And I did. And I did. I couldn't walk for four days. Yeah. yeah. And the dancers were so sweet. They were like, don't outdance us. Don't be better than us. <laughs> it was so fun to suddenly jump into this um, piece again after a year. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't work with him for a long time. And then uh, 10 years when the Forsyth company closed, I went back and did an acting role, Kammer uh, Kammer. I had wanted to be a movie actor. And it asked Billy advice, and, and then he made a movie piece for me where I'm like a movie star, like they make it's like making a movie live, yeah. For me, and who, I played a lover of a rock star, and Dana, Billy's wife, played Catherine Deneuve um, um, from some movie where she's a lesbian in love with one of her students. So it was a kind of these two frustrated gay love stories done through film. It's a very beautiful piece, yeah. And so that was really fun to go back and do that and and also work with Dana again, you know, with this kind of like, with the tension gone of like company life, like it was really free. It was so much fun.
0: So for 10 years, you didn't work on Foresight's piece or? I
1: don't think so. Maybe I set something once, maybe in Japan, I would go, but pretty much away from it and doing my own thing. Once in a while I would do maybe. A coaching of something or teaching a, a, an easy ballet not with a lot of people something small yeah and then would again still work with Jan in between mm-hmm. did two shows with Jan when the company ended and then he made a solo for me and then just recently we did the 24-hour show the Mount Olympus okay. yeah and that was the best thing ever i mean really i mean i loved dancing with billy and i did some great shows but to perform you know to do a monologue and a dance at 22 hours and be you know 80 percent of my i always say 80 percent of my career at frankfurt ballet was improvisation so i did a lot he trusted me a lot to give me just playgrounds to dance in right and um So to do that, you have to be in the moment, you know, I'm hearing a sound outside. I would use that as inspiration. Someone would watch me from the wings and I would just steal positions that someone's crossing their arm or from the, you know, you just had to grab onto what was the room telling you, you need to say right now. Mm -hmm. And so you had to be very in the moment, but there's something about being in the moment when you're that friggin' tired, when you've been awake for 25 hours, an amazing performance. I see the video and I'm like, "I did that?" I'm like, "It's really, it's deep."
0: You did it once?
1: No, we did it 19 times in different cities around the world, not week after week yeah. like a month and a but 19 times we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was the performance of the century yeah that was really cool
0: okay to finish with i have a question with three questions inside so first one your best memory as a child
1: best memory as a child okay well this is true um and i just recently i mean child like four months old memory
0: no i have a four i have four four months four months four
1: months months memory four months memory so when you first said what's the first idea was i thought the first time my mom took me dancing at the vfw with all the old people and the music was going and everyone formed a circle and i was in the center and i danced and everybody was looking at me that was like wow i like showing off and dancing for everybody so then second one memory that flashed to me and i think it's why i'm a fearless person Um, um i had gone to see a psychic in i had, had difficulties at 24 in all relationships i long story short i couldn't commit to someone like the next day i'm in love but the next day i'm going like there's someone better over there i didn't let that person give much for one day i was always thinking there's something better more love better love somewhere else so i see this psychic and i'm like what is that about and she said when you were four months old your mother got very sick and went to the hospital and someone else took care of you, I believe it was your grandmother. And even though your grandmother loved you, it wasn't your mother and you're constantly looking for that and you're doing that today. So I'm like, wow. So I call my mom and I said, is that true? Did you go to the hospital? Who told you that, a psychic? Which made it even weirder. I was like, yeah. So then, um, my father passed away and I went to go see his wife and for some reason she decided to tell me some family secrets. And so all of a sudden kind of putting my mother down a little bit says, um, well, you know, you almost, um, you almost died when you were four months old. And I said, really? And she said, yes, when you were four months old, your mother forgot to lock the carriage and the baby carriage went rolling down a hill. And the second she said that I had a flash and I could see the sky zooming in front of my eyes and it suddenly stopped and a bunch of people looking, looking at me as a baby. Isn't that amazing? I immediately went into, whoa, down the hill, riding down the hill, and boom, people looking. And I was just like, wow, what's going on. <laughs> like a roller coaster. I think that's why I love roller coasters. And that's why, I'm, like, when I would ski, I would just go to the, at 10 years old, I would go to the top of the hill and just go straight down. And I'm sure it's from what happened to me at four months old. Mm. Yeah.
0: Second question, best memory as a performer.
1: Best memory as a performer was performing the solo of Tiresias in the 24-hour show from Jan Faber in um, Jerusalem. Because um, um, that solo, it's a human rights monologue, that there's a plague around the world because you haven't respected human a human's right to be buried. Right, and he's the blind prophet, and so you don't really rehearse the twenty-four-hour show, right? So you just we just rehearse the transitions and the dances maybe, and the rest is you just go and you go over your text before. So it's really late in the program at twenty-two hours or whatever. So um, super tired, like super exhausted. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? And the solo is a very old man, super old, that kind of transforms into this screeching bird that has a voice like that, and then goes back to oh, the old guy
0: that can't really
1: So it keeps fluctuating from being this ballerina bird on Demi Point to this crunchy old man. Mm -hmm. So I come out as the old man and I said the first sentence. And in, you know, that other voice in the back of the head that talks to you while you're performing said, wait a minute. This monologue means something very different here than it does when I say it in Paris. I'm in fucking Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And, uh, and suddenly I felt the spirits of every human right activist that ever lived enter my body and I gave the performance of a fucking lifetime. I was doing shit like dancing around and I would PK into arabesque and just hold that arabesque and talk for like 30 seconds. Like, just balance. It was crazy. And, um, and I remember the audience p- applauded and I, I stopped them applauding as the old man, like, shut up listen to what I said and I walk away and I went off stage, and I cried for 20 minutes I thought I have done what I can to save the world and I just Jan, Jan was passing and I just started crying and you know he's just like okay leave him alone everyone's emotional I gotta say that performance was the best yeah yeah I mean I did a lot of great fucking dancing with uh Frankfurt and but um I think that and any of the other fun ones are when I was you can see it online. There's um, it's called Invisible Film um, and it's a kind of ballet ballet. And uh, and I got thrown into it like, you know, I learned it in 30 minutes, you know, I got thrown in a lot. So those were always fun, yeah. you know, to just get thrown into it. And, you know, they're just happy somebody's on stage. I hated rehearsing. I wasn't a big re- I like to rehearse my mind. What am I going to do? I would just watch the video and kind of remember and maybe mark it and then just do it, you know? But I really rehearsed my mind more than anything, Yeah.
0: Okay, the last one, your best memory as a teacher.
1: That's a hard one. Best memory as a teacher. Oh, I gotta say in lockdown, teaching my boyfriend how to do ballet, <laughs> yeah to go from a beginner to be able to do a soda ba- uh, to do a basque into a so- susu into a little pirouette. Yeah, I got to say that was kind of cool cuz I never worked with a beginner and was like, "All right, we're in lockdown. What else are we going to do?" And so we taught him ballet. That was pretty fun.
0: All right. Well, Tony, where can we find you?
1: Oh, I think I have a Facebook page called Tony Rizzi and the Bad Habits and I'm Tony Rizzi on Facebook. And on Instagram, I don't have a web page, so pretty much it's that. Say hi on Facebook. I always answer. Yeah. I always answer. I answer emails. I think it's on there. T-O-E underscore K-N-E-E at Mac.com. Yeah. I love to not work. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to write a book eventually. I want to put a book together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. That yeah. was fun.
0: Yeah. Thank you yeah. for your time. That was yeah. really cool.
1: Yeah. The other thing, the one thing that Billy said to me my first uh, first year in the company, he said, I learn from everything. And he does. He talks to everybody. You know, he doesn't want to be like, oh, it's Billy Forsyth," But he's like, and he's like, you learn from everything. And I think that's so important as an artist that we forget that and not hold on to something. And working with other great artists like Willem Dafoe, I worked with him as an actor and and he was like, yeah, I, I pretend every time I do a piece like I've never done it before. Like don't hold on to what, you know, there's a technique, there's a technique, but there's also, you know, that freedom of discovering something new about yourself. And yeah, yeah, that's all.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Bye everybody. Thank you for listening until the end. If you want to support the podcast, subscribe to our channel on the app you're using and follow us on Instagram at Tensors Bye.